Turn it up some more. Couldn't always hold me to be careful who I loved As I was rubbing oil on his chest And so I withheld three hundred million dollars of aid I bribed Ukraine cause I learned from the best I'm writing you a six page letter cause I don't wanna be impeached and when you get this you better exonerate me I'm writing you a six page letter cause I don't wanna be impeached and Jesus Christ had a better trial than me Hey guys, hey guys, hey. Who da, who da, who da, who da, who da, who da, who Who that is me, Kalechi Aza. This is Cake and Kombucha. Welcome back, you guys. I am here in the majestic Carolinas, um, North Carolina, for the holidays. Um, down here at my mom's house. Being here and recording is making me realize I indeed have not been back home to her house for a year. She's been back up to New York, and I've seen her different places a couple times, but... Yeah, I haven't been here in a year because I remember last time I was recording down here and it is pristine sound quality. It's beautiful. There's basically just trees out in the backyard, not much going on. I mean, I feel like if it was evening in the summer, you'd hear like frogs and stuff, but it's pretty chill. It's funny because we were trying to figure out the last time I've been here because she has this nice ottoman at the foot of her bed and I was like oh that's that's little that's fierce and she's like you haven't seen it yet and I was like no and she was trying to remember when the last time I've been here is I see when when we were away she just kind of is like as long as you 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 fools ain't here I'm going to keep building my secret paradise away from you and get the things that I want because she also said I can't like my toiletries out on the bathroom counter because the whole bedroom is now her home office and she just doesn't want it. Um, okay, so I respect that. Anyway, it's lovely down here. It's nice to be away from the city. It always is. It's just a different pace of life. I don't know that many people down here that aren't my family, so even that is like just an excuse to be a hermit and just chill horde. Um, but yeah, so to get into the podcast this week, it's going to be a little different because I've recorded it two different times. So you're going to hear first my hot off the press impressions after I just watched the impeachment vote go through, like literally it had just happened. And I had a lot to say, had to go to acting class, do a lot of shit, wrap up stuff in New York and come down here. So I didn't get to edit it. And I said, you know what, let me wait because more stuff is coming hot off the press. That's just going to be in development, and I won't be able to tell you what's really going on anyway, because there's just little snippets of stuff started to pop off immediately after the impeachment, like discussion of when the articles of impeachment will be delivered to Senate. So I'm going to give you the rest of kind of my wrap-up of this week now. So you're going to hear some stuff that was right then, um, two days ago, on the, what day was he impeached? Wednesday, no, Wednesday, December 18th. 
So you're going to hear some stuff from Wednesday, December 18th at about like 10 p.m., 10.30 in the evening. And then the rest of the updates will be fresh as of today, which is Friday, December 20th. All right, ain't nothing to it but to do it. Let's do it. Okay, so before we go into the rest of the show, I realize that I may have been negligent, and I think I need to go over in detail a timeline of why the president was impeached. I try to bring you the most interesting or weird portions of the day, these hearings, this the sound bites that are trending and memeing, things like that. But I realize after I talked to a listener who is a very accomplished person that I respect and love. And this person told me that, oh, you know, do the do the Republicans, you know, do we really have anything on Trump? Yeah, I mean, obviously he's done everything wrong, but like in this instance, like, I mean, why did he give back the, he gave back the aid, right? So what happened? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He gave back the aid because he was caught, what the fuck? So I, I didn't know that there was such a huge gap between I don't know. I guess I didn't know that that confusion from the right had penetrated and like permeated into liberal New Yorkers even, and that people are really walking around not quite understanding what actually transpired. And it's a testament to the Republican strategy of creating mass confusion. So let me go into this step by step. I'm going to explain the aid issue from Ukraine, which is the whole reason he got impeached, and go into like the whistleblower complaint, not in depth, just like that it happened and a timeline so you understand. And if you know all this already, please fast forward because then it's just going to be tedious and boring. And if you're like me, you've been hearing about this and you watch all the hearings, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to start first with the hold and then we'll zoom out to go to the whole chain of events. So, um, the hold. Okay. The hold is at the key of this whole issue, the hold of the aid, because that is the um, collateral that Trump was using, as well as a meeting with him. Um, that was a collateral he was using against Ukraine to get them to make an announcement that Joe Biden was corrupt and being investigated. He did not want them to even go through with it, just to make an announcement to create the impression that he's corrupt, which would influence the 2020 election. As you know, Trump is a mastermind of media, manipulating media. That is what he does, and that is what he does best. Certainly better than being a business owner because he's been bankrupt several times. So it's really important. Um, Okay, so July 3rd, the hold. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who you've heard me discuss his testimony in which the Republicans tried to drag this man, he's a national security official. He received notice from the State Department that the military aid was held up. July 10th, a meeting at the White House with Ukrainian officials is cut short when Gordon Sondland, U.S. Ambassador to the European Union, says he has an agreement with the acting White House Chief of Staff that Ukraine's president would get a meeting with Trump if Ukraine agreed to launch investigations. Now, this is Sondland, who in his testimony clearly stated, yes, there was a quid pro quo. He said he... It was specifically regarding the meetings, because that is the part that he was privy to. Trump said, you get a meeting with USA, which is something that people really covet. It looks good for them. You get a meeting with us if you announce that Ukraine is launching investigations. John Bolton, national security advisor, stiffened, ended meeting, later telling colleague Fiona Hill to report it to the National Security Council's lawyer. Hill famously said, I am not part of whatever drug deal Sondland and Mick Mulvaney 
that is the chief of staff of the White House, who Trump forbade from testifying, who famously gave a statement to the press saying, of course, Trump did this. It's what you do. Sometimes you got to negotiate. And then he took it back. Um, so Hill famously said, I'm not part of whatever drug deal Sondland and Mick Mulvaney are cooking up on this. July 18th, the holdup announcement. In a secure call with national security officials, staff member of the White House Office of Management and Budget announces that there's a freeze on Ukraine aid until further notice based on a presidential order. July 25th, this is the infamous phone call. Trump speaks with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, asking him for a favor, including an inquiry into Joe Biden's son Hunter's dealings with Burisma, a Ukrainian gas company, and to investigate whether Ukraine interfered in the 2016 presidential elections. Now, I know this is confusing because he won the election, so it's like, what are you investigating? But yes, um, Burisma is the company that Joe Biden was on the board of. He was a lawyer before, so honestly, it's not that much of a stretch to work in, nat work in natural gas. Like These white men are really pushing it because we fully well know that as a lawyer, you go on to do all kinds of stuff. Like We consider it a straight shot into being kind of on the board of any company. So Hunter Biden was a lawyer. He then got on the board of Burisma. He was paid an obscene amount of money, but it's a gas company and it's the white man. And so like, yeah. So this is the phone call that Trump has repeatedly gone on to refer to as perfect. It was a perfect call. Um, he said the famous lines, we would like you to do us a favor though. Though obviously implying, you know, if a, like a conditional, like if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And yeah, this is extremely, extremely important for those of you who have been swayed by the Republicans repeatedly stating that the Ukrainians didn't even know that the aid was being withheld, which is like saying, if I poison you with horse tranquilizer, but you're somehow part horse and you survive it, that that makes it okay. But the point is that None of that's true because the Ukrainians did know. So in August, Catherine Croft, special advisor for Ukraine at the State Department, said that two Ukrainians reached out to her to ask about the status of the military assistance. She told lawmakers that she could not recall the exact dates, but she believes the outreach took place before the August 28th publication of a political Politico article detailing the hold. Which is another important point, that Ukrainians have the internet and the news, just like everyone else. If you follow the news really closely, pe people release these, um, what's the word, these leads, and they have consistently been releasing leads about sketchy things that are happening, and then later they're confirmed, uh, or confirmed by more than one person, confirmed by many different people. So I'm jumping past the date of the whistleblower complaint, because that's not even the date that we found about it anyway. Um, to go to August 28th. August 28th, an article was published by Politico that detailed the military aid to Ukraine is on hold, and it set off a scramble among diplomats in Ukraine and the United States. Now, I remember reading about this stuff. I read about, you read about a lot of this stuff before you, it is, you know, lodged within the, the puzzle of where it fits into everything. So it's just like this one piece of shady business, but you don't really know the grand scope of it. But I do remember reading about the aid to Ukraine. So going 
backwards by a week and a half. On August 12th is when the whistleblower filed a formal complaint addressed to Congress detailing concerns over the July 25th phone call and the hold. So August 12th, they made that complaint. The complaint was withheld from Congress until September 25th. And then October 28th, the article comes out. On October 29th and after, William Taylor, the acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, testified that he did not know the aid had been withheld until the political article appeared. So the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine did not even know the aid had been withheld until the political article appeared. And then he started to receive desperate phone calls from Ukrainian officials. Again, Republicans are lying when they say that Ukraine did not know. It's just something they decided to say over and over again, even though we have various different government officials who some of them were put in, were, you know, instated by Trump himself, stating that that wasn't the case. So these people have no reason to lie. And they have illustrious long careers of doing the literal same things they're doing, just doing their job. Uh, So Ambassador Taylor said, the Minister of Defense came to me. I would use the word desperate to try to figure out why the aid was being held. Taylor said the minister thought if he spoke to Congress or the White House, he could find out the reason and reassure them of whatever was necessary to get the aid. If the money wasn't provided by September 30th, it would be lost. So on September 9th, that's when the House committees launched this investigation looking into allegations against Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and others about pressuring the government. And on September 11th, the funds are suddenly released. Senate Republicans said that the funds were suddenly released in part because Senator Dick Durbin, who is a Democrat from Illinois, threatened to block $5 billion in Pentagon spending for 2020 if the aid wasn't given to Ukraine. So Trump received internal pressure, and his spot was blown up by this article, and that's why the aid was released. That is just to clarify to my listener who was confused about this that Trump did not release the aid from any just goodwill or intentions that were just individual on his part. He had pressure because his spot was blown up. We did not find out about all this until afterwards into September because Congress did not receive the whistleblower complaint until then. They had to issue a subpoena for it. So let me get into that timeline, which I'm going to try to do quickly also. On September 13th, Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and someone who's become a huge obsession of Trump, he issued a subpoena for the complaint after Joseph McGuire, the acting director of national intelligence, a Trump appointee, refused to hand it over. So just I'm reading verbatim, but let's, you know, let me just translate Literally, the whistleblower complaint was not given to Congress. They could not read it because the head and acting director, which is a thing that Trump does, he puts in all of these acting people after he's fired people and suddenly puts in these like substitute teacher people who did not have to have the full credentials, did not have to have bipartisan approval. So he puts in a henchman, essentially, who blocks the 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 letter from being handed over it, and and these people who work together in the government are subpoenaing each other it's actually crazy so days later the reports emerge that trump asked Zelensky to, to investigate aid during the phone call um, on the 19th giuliani is interviewed on cnn he first denies that he asked ukraine to investigate biden but then 30 seconds later he's like of course i did 
And on September 24th, Nancy Pelosi announces a formal impeachment inquiry into Trump's actions. On 25th of September, the White House released a partial transcript of the call. It's not really a transcript. It's not like verbatim. But uh, hours before Trump's face-to-face meeting with Zelensky at United Nations was when this happened. And Zelensky said, I don't want to be involved in democratic elections of the USA. Nobody pushed me. Again, this is something the Democrats, sorry, the Republicans have used over and over again. They say... Well, Zelensky said that he wasn't pressured. I mean, if you're being bribed and you saw that someone was willing to hold up $390 million of aid, why would you then go to that same person and think that anything they tell you is going to be, you know, free from duress? It doesn't make sense. Um, so in 20, the 26th of September, the whistleblower complaint was released, and 27th of September, Kurt Volker Trump's former special envoy to Ukraine resigns. Um, On the 4th of October, the House Congressional Committee holding impeachment hearings releases WhatsApp messages from the U.S. diplomats, which was handed over by Kurt Volker, which showed a prestigious invitation for Zelensky to visit the White House was dependent on him stating publicly that Ukraine would investigate the Bidens and a supposed Ukrainian role in the 2016 U.S. election. A theory that is... uh, false, but it's a theory from far-right conspiracy circles. So, again, these are more facts. On October 4th, we have they they release text messages from people talking in real time to each other, stating what has happened. These are all facts, and this is the problem because it's very granular, it's very, you know, specific, it can be a little confusing, but if you listen to the Republicans, they literally just say, nothing ever happened, there are no facts. But, I mean, what is more, you know, what, what corroborates a story more than people who are not psychic, they don't know that in the future people are going to be looking back at their text messages and trying to find out, just talking in real time, oh, shit, what's going on? I'm not going to be part of this drug deal. This is what's going down. It, it's factual. Um, October 6th, lawyers for the first whistleblower say they are now representing a second. October 8th, the State Department prevents Gordon Sondland, U.S. ambassador to the EU and a Trump donor, from testifying to a congressional impeachment hearing. So later, you know, we know in November that Sondland was able to testify, but this in October is when Trump started blocking people from testifying. And there's other shady things he did, but that is the timeline of the money, which seems to be the main confusion. Other things he did were a cover-up for after the fact, like removing um, Marie Yovanovitch from her post in Ukraine, saying that she's a that woman is gonna some bad things are gonna happen to her, and this is because she wasn't going along with the bullshit. And he's still smearing this woman to this day. It's actually horrifying. So I would encourage you to go read some synopsis, take it in yourself. If you if you feel like oh. You know, we know Trump is bad, but he locked kids up in cages. He should have been impeached for that. We know Trump, yes, all that's true, but he actually factually had bribery and an abuse of power as it relates to Ukraine. Like, this is a thing that actually happened, and it is the most concrete thing that wasn't a policy that some people can agree with, you know? Like, the kids in cages, unfortunately, is a policy that fucking Republicans are okay with. This is what really happened. This is why he's being impeached. And it's just important to know these facts and 
and be able to firmly know when what you're hearing is a lie, when the right is making something sound like it's vague or unclear, that it's, that's actually not. Um, okay, that's a lot. And I please, please, I hope you didn't listen to the whole thing if you already knew this, because then it would be boring. But, uh, that's it. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get right into my impeachment coverage from the other night. December 18th. Not to be alienating to those of you who may have already been through some blizzards, it's the first snow in New York. The ground is white and powdery, like a fresh veil of cocaine has been gifted to the land. <sniffs> sniff up, everyone. Sniff up. Christmas time is here. I'm just kidding. And you guys know I don't do drugs, um, except for the occasional matcha latte which then I pay for because the come down is, it's rough. It's rough. Hi, I'm your host, Kalechi Azia. It is indeed the first snow for New York, and it leaves me to wonder why I can't get the delivery man to walk to my door, even in the snow. Because does he really think I'm going to put on flip-flops to come outside and meet him? That'd be weird. And then I get frostbite on my toes. But hey, you know, Brooklyn, I guess they don't come to the door. It's what it is. Anyway, we have a lot to get into today. As you know, let me just get in the somber uh, mode. I'm not wearing my Nancy Pelosi black, but today is a somber day because the president has been impeached. Woo! Party, party, boom, 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 boom. Impeachment time, boom, 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 boom. Impeachment time, shake your booty, impeach your booty, baby, impeach your... Okay. That's how I felt. Apparently, I watched Fox News for a few minutes to see what the coverage was like after the impeachment had gone through, but it was so cartoonish that I really had to turn it off um, really quickly because I'm not five. Like, I can't, I don't need, you know, mnemonic nicknames for people like Shifty Shift and Nasty Nadler. It's like, once you're over the age of five, you can just remember people's names because they're it's what they're called you don't actually have to to give them like monikers like some sort of sesame street character so i it's a lot for me but um i did watch and they were mocking nancy pelosi for saying that it was she was somber and saying that like she didn't really mean it and it's just it's such an interesting thing because we are in this time where truth and what is facts? I mean, facts are called disputable now, which is like within the definition of fact, it, it's not supposed to be something that can be disputed. But, you know, you've heard over and over again over the past couple of weeks, the facts are indisputable. The facts are in dispute, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think it's interesting that we're now even doing things like it's news to say that someone didn't mean something. Like she says, this is a somber day for us. You know, we hold this responsibility to uphold our constitutional and it's gravely serious, but it is, it's not, it's obviously not a good day when it comes to the point where you have to impeach your president. It's not a good day for the country. And 
then Sean Hannity saying, she does, yeah, right, no, she's not. You know, so he has a clip of her saying, I feel somber, this is serious. Then saying, no, she doesn't, he literally said she doesn't mean it. And I just thought that was indicative of the time we're in because things that we, that people did say, we can say we didn't say them. And then when someone says it, you say, oh, you didn't mean it. There's nothing that we can agree on. We can't even agree on a timeline of what has actually happened. And by we, I mean the people that respect facts and reality on the left and the wackadoodles on the right. And I shouldn't call them wackadoodles because they're not wackadoodles. They're actually just doing something evil that's going to be written down later in history books. Is like, the, the remember the time it was just Wahala and the government and people were like, I give no fucks about what's right and wrong that time. That's how this is going to be looked back on. But anyway, why did I start talking about this? Oh, because also on Fox, they said that apparently uh, Nadler had to give instructions, or Pelosi did, to people not to do their victory dance after impeachment. And I just wanted you to know that um, it's a safe space for you to do a victory dance here with me on the podcast. But also, isn't it crazy how... At every turn, Democrats have to hold themselves to some sort of higher standard of morality than the Republicans. The Republicans are over here making up nicknames and shit, and we have to act like we're not excited to do what the fuck we said we were going to do because we had good reason, because Donald Trump was a criminal before he was put in office and a rapist and all kinds of things like that. So... And then we do it and we have to pretend that we, oh, oh, I don't know. It's just, oh, I don't know. Should we? Shouldn't we? Oh, it was, it was so hard. It was so hard to decide that, you know, we didn't want this man to destroy our credibility with all other nations and, and ruin national security for America and make us not safe and start wars. Uh, oh, how do I know what to do? Um, yeah. It's a weird thing that we've been walked into. I, I see a lot about tolerance, and when I'm on Twitter and I see Republicans coming for liberals, be like, you go, you guys are tolerant. You know, you say you're tolerant, but blah, blah, blah. And you know what I hear when, I, when you say that is like, you say you like niggers and queers, that's what I hear. Because tolerance, as I've talked about, is a joke, okay? You're not going to tolerate me. You're going to appreciate the fuck out of me, okay? If I, am your, if I move into your neighborhood, you're going to love all of this, okay? You will love the smell of fried chicken, the watermelon patch I'm growing in the backyard, the loud African drumming in the morning. Just kidding. That none of those things will be happening. Um, but apparently that's what people like concern, are concerned would be happening. My point is that I feel like tolerance, it's insulting because it's like you're directing it towards like the white Democrats to be like, hey, you allow all those other people into your party and it's okay. And that's what you guys preach tolerance. And I think you tolerate like a bad smell. It's like holding your nose. So I never liked the whole tolerance thing. Even when I was little, people said that. I'm like, tolerance for those who are different. I'm like, being black isn't a religion. I, It's just like some people look different than other people. That's not even like, that shouldn't even be put in the same category as tolerating you know, a belief system, although it's a joke to like tolerate what other people believe because why is it your business? But you know what I'm saying? It's It just, they didn't seem to really add up. And so I see now when we are, you know, fiercely and decisively condemning, you know, condemning the actions of Trump, putting our foot down about what we think is wrong and what we think has no, no, it has to go. A taunt from the right wing media and pundits is to call us intolerant. 
when the fuck did you get the idea that tolerance, as flawed a concept as that was for accepting, you know, people, where did you get to says that I meant accepting bullshit? I'm really confused. Like, one of the things that we will be tolerant about is, you know, gay people, Muslims, black people, difference. We're tolerant that we're all not the same. We accept difference among us. No one said we had to, uh, uh, we're to- we just accept you being a wild ass criminal for no reason. Not like, not like you're stealing loaves of bread in Katrina. Not like that crime. Like just being a greedy bastard, robber baron, rapist, and criminal. Like what? I'm very confused. But anyway, we have this reputation to uphold and it's, it's like a thing. So we do everything very in a principled way and, and we, I don't know. It's like Nancy Pelosi said, I'm very proud of, I'm very proud of, you know, our, the House of Representatives. Like we didn't whip the vote at all. We have all these Democrats voting for impeachment. We didn't, we didn't know how they were going to vote beforehand. And when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, yes, oh, it's so hard to do what's right. Yes, but why? How did it get that way? Why are the Republicans willing to do anything? And we're not. So to backtrack a little bit um, for how the day went today, all day there was a debate on voting for the articles of impeachment against the president. And then just this evening, just like within the past 45 minutes, they voted on both articles, which means he's being impeached on both articles. It's a really weird day where people are really underwhelmed. And I include me, I include everyone, and I want to delve into why we're underwhelmed. Let's remember that this is the only third time this is the third time in history that a president has been impeached. Right? Okay, so boom. Why is this so underwhelming? And I include myself. We're also underwhelmed. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, the impeachment. But how? How did we get so jaded? Let's backtrack and try to figure out. How did we get so jaded about impeachment? It's the third time in history a president has been in- impeached. Nixon wasn't impeached because he left before he was impeached. So this is the third time in history a president has been impeached. Anyone who was alive in 1993, was it? 1996? Was was around for the second one, which was President Clinton. This is a rhetorical question, however, because I was posing it and I was thinking about it, but I had already kind of figured out the answer, what I think is the answer. We are, we're, we're not impressed, we're underwhelmed because we are so desensitized to everything that he has done that the bar for removal, the bar for what needs to happen is now removal from office. And we know that impeachment, which used to be a very significant censure because, hello, it's the third time ever. It kind of has lost its meaning. It's lost its meaning because we have someone who's doing illegal things, not Having blowjobs, which did were there blowjobs before the nineties? I I don't know. Everyone acted like there weren't. Like I was, I was learning about it, uh, you know, when I was in middle school. But then it was like, ever all the adults were acting like they were learning about it too. Because man, was that was that titillating for everyone. But this this isn't someone having an affair. Although you know, let's think back to how this guy paid a hooker with his campaign funds. Um, what she's not a hooker, she's Stormy. Sorry, Stormy. Stormy, you're Stormy. you're you. You're you, Stormy. Anyway, the point is that 
we are so numb because he's done so many bad things that the censure of impeachment, which is a huge, huge deal, a thing for the history books, does not matter anymore. And we in our hearts and souls know that he needs to be removed from office. However, our founding fathers on purpose separated impeachment from removal from office because, you know, impeachment, if you have any honor, was supposed to mean something, to be censured by all of your peers or a majority of your peers or even half of them, that was supposed to mean something. And the bar for removal from office is is separate. It's separate and more difficult because they did acknowledge that it is somewhat of an upheaval, of course, to remove a sitting president. So what we have now is just that things are so, so bad that what is actually supposed to be a really, really big reflection of how bad they are no longer means anything. And that that tracks for this moment, if it was isolated, but it also tracks for just like looking back from Clinton to now because what Clinton did that he got impeached for was so different and so much less significant. There was no international aspect at all you know, to, what, for, to, to what's happening right now. Um, so yeah, so all day hearings, um, twice, twice today, Donald Trump was compared to Jesus Christ by the Republicans. Two times. One asshole, I'm not going to look up his name because I just, I, I can't. He said that Pontius Pilate, he said when Jesus was being tried for treason, Pontius Pilate had a more fair trial than Donald Trump is having right now because he got to face his accusers. Yeah, and someone else used, quoted Jesus and said, like, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. How? I'm not a church-going person anymore, but I'm spiritual and I have some reverence left in me. And I would fear being, being smoted, being smited, being smitten by a bolt of thunder. I would fear that, like Fantasia, God was just going to pick up a thunderbolt in his hand and go... <laughs> shoot it down like a blow dart. How dare you? Like, oh. And, you know, and those, that's today I just learned. I'm continuing to learn more about white supremacy. I'm continuing to learn more about expectations of people and how ridiculous my expectations of people are compared to what people are doing. You know, because, okay, so this is so euphemistic that it's almost painful to say, but... And I guess some Republicans sort of said this, but then they actually added that Obama and JFK should have been impeached too. Yeah, that happened. Someone got up there and said Obama and JFK and LBJ should have gotten impeached. Yeah. So let's say that one of them, without saying any other wild-ass statements like that, just said, hey, um, what he did was inappropriate and you know, we are going to, we need to review how we conduct foreign policy, but it's, it's, it's does not amount to impe- an impeachable offense. That would be inadequate, but just not, just not as, I mean, a, just not a comparison to Jesus, I guess. I guess I'm just looking for like a not comparison to Jesus. Like how how are the ways that you might defend his actions without comparing him to Jesus? But instead, you have the most indecorous, inappropriate, vile, crass, 
cantankerous, mocking 16-year-olds with Asperger's, uh, mocking a 79-year-old Speaker of the House's teeth, even though you're the same age. So, you know, always denigrating women's looks, telling us that African countries are shitholes, that Mexicans are rapists. Um, the list of things that he said is just, I really can't list it all. I, I don't, I know I don't know it all by heart. I know, I know like some key ones. You have someone that's just acted in a way that's so inappropriate that world leaders laugh about him, and uh, he's probably he's, he has to be the most definitely the most inappropriate, unconventional politician of our lifetime. And you, with your full throat in your face, compare him to Jesus Christ. That's that is what I mean. It's this business of power and white supremacy. It's not. It's, it's world building. It's I'm going to actually revise the world. I will shape it to my liking. I have the full authority to completely make up things that are not real. And it's just made me really be skeptical about what people ever mean that they're saying. Um, so when I see the Republicans, you know, complaining about how they're victims and we didn't get to do this and we didn't get to do that. You know, we, it was a sham trial, and we didn't get to call any witnesses when Trump would be, I don't know, like an important person to hear from, and he refused to go and forbade the other key people from testifying. And you get up there and complain that the Democrats have kept you from doing this, and you've been victimized. That, to me, is just so interesting, because, like, you spent the same people spend, spend so much time telling minorities not to be a victim, a victim mentality. It's just... I think that this is all on purpose, and there is absolutely supposed to be a secret exclusive club for only certain people to get into with a certain wealth background, with certain skin color, and in that section, in that special part of the club, the VIP section, people do each other favors. They support one another. They get everything they need for free. They get into college. You know, they get their kids into college without their kids earning it. All of the things that they rail against, you know, that they don't want to happen to us, that they don't want, you know, the general population to live off handouts. They don't want any help. They don't want aid for this. They don't want aid for that. I mean, it's none of these rules apply. They have employed victimhood. They have been manipulative. They have really painted themselves out as if someone did something wrong to them. But us, you know, shut up because you want, like, reparations and some real shit. I, I don't know if what I, the comparison I'm making makes sense. Um, it might, it's, I'm working it out as I go along, but I know just something clicked in my head about what it means to, to, to engage with people who don't have any regard for the truth. It's just a kind of ruthlessness that... I wasn't really prepared for. Like, I feel like I'd rather fight physically fight you than just know you will never be bound to anything that actually happened or was said. Like any, you could just you could make anything up. I'd rather fight it. I'd rather go back to Alexander Hamilton's cell and like have a duel. It's just give me something concrete. Like, like your teeth in my hand. Give me something real. Give me something I can work with. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's, well, that's what happened. This is a historical moment. He was impeached, and he, that's impeachment, y'all. That's all, folks. I mean, 
That's the impeachment part. He has been impeached. So I actually don't rem- even remember at all what happened. I mean, obviously, Bill Clinton wasn't taken out of office, but I remember all the hullabaloo going on about the impeachment part. But I don't, I, I mean, I guess the, you know, the reason impeachment is scary is because it means that then the vote is taken to the Senate of whether you can, whether you're going to leave office or not. So it means your job is on the line. If you don't get impeached, your job isn't on the line. So it's a scary thing. And it just sucks that we're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, I just, what I'm trying to say is I've, I seem to remember the goalpost being, is the president going to get impeached way, way, way back when I was a kid? That seemed to be like a scary thing in itself. It's kind of like my mom tells us a story of how when we were little, she would tell us, you know, you know, you if I count if I count to three, and you're not doing such and such, or I'm gonna count to fifteen, and if you're not doing such and such, you're gonna get it. There was no real ever punishment planned after the counting. She would just start counting, and then she said we would just start running around in circles. Oh, she's counting. No, 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 mom. No, don't count. Don't count. No, no, mom, mom, don't count. Like we just thought the counting was like some sort of magic punishment, naughty spell, and just we we couldn't take it. And that's how I feel like the impeachment was. It's like it's supposed to be. It is the thing. Like it's a bad thing to happen to you. So. I wish that the 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 left meet the media on the left would kind of just help reorient us into the fact that it is a big deal and let it be significant cuz we're all I feel like complicit in kind of taking the wind out of the significance and we could just slow down and be like we we know we wanted Trump punished here this is the first punishment he's ever gotten he he's never gone to jail he's never I mean, he's had to settle a ton of cases out of court, but he never gets in trouble for any of the things that he does. And so this is him getting in trouble. So part of me just wants to have a moment to to just focus on that. I'm begging you to not impeach me tonight. You better keep a watch because my crazy is coming. now about 48 hours from the impeachment. This is the current Friday, December 20th portion of the show. Um, So what's happened since then? As I alluded to before, Nancy Pelosi has yet to deliver these articles of impeachment to the Senate. And I am frustrated with the left media because They say that they don't like Trump and they bring all these experts on to discuss how immoral he is. And yet I feel like they live and breathe off of his off of the ratings that he provides and the news cycle that he creates because, you know, we they do things that are that are sabotaging and then later they want to cry about it. So there's been an endless, endless parade of senators and Congress people that they've been interviewing now to ask them about what Nancy Pelosi's intentions are. 
And they pose the question in such a way that makes us look bad. They're like, oh, well, isn't it hard for the Republic, for the Democrats to say that impeachment was urgent and yet to delay these articles right now? Stop framing things as if the Democrats are the ones that have created this whole fucked up situation. It's weird that Mitch McConnell is calling himself, what, the Crip Keeper or some shit and saying that he is not impartial at all. Um, and he's not going to ha- be impartial when you know the impeachment trial happens in the Senate. That's unacceptable. So Nancy Pelosi is saying, I'm not turning this over until I find out what they're planning to do. And guess what? If it takes two weeks and then two weeks passes and, the, and well into the new year and it gives the Democrats more time to get their ducks in a row, so be it. I mean, she didn't say that part, but anyone with common sense should be saying so be it. And to me, you're being a hater when you keep asking them, because unfortunately, we're not. there's no right news equivalent. There's just Fox. Fox is not news. So there's no one on the right side asking questions that are demanding of, you know, that don't make the right look good. So it's like we have the left here pretending, you know, that everything's on both sides. We got to ask these questions, you know, be fair to both sides. And we have the right just producing propaganda. So it just annoys me that there's no equivalent and there's nothing to balance that out. And so now we're going to nitpick this shit to death. And then people are going to say that the Senate trial is not fair because Nancy Pelosi waited, blah, blah, blah. I'm just annoyed. Speaking of other things that are weird, Tulsi Gabbard, also known as an X-Men, also known as a stunt queen that I'm sick of, she voted present for the two articles of impeachment. She refused to vote yes or no. Um, She's given a really mealy-mouthed statement, and here we go. Throughout my life, whether serving in the military or in Congress, I've always worked to do what is in the best interest of our country, not what's best for me politically or my political party. I put country first, blah, blah, blah. After doing my due diligence in reviewing, that doesn't mean reading, by the way, reviewing the 658-page impeachment report, I came to the conclusion that I could not in good conscience vote yes or no. I am standing in the center and have decided to vote present. I could not in good conscience vote against impeachment because I believe President Trump is guilty of long, wrongdoing. I'm going to read that again. I could not, she could not vote against impeachment because she does believe that President Trump is guilty of wrongdoing. Then she says, I also could not in good conscience vote for impeachment because removal of a sitting president must not be the culmination of a partisan process fueled by tribal animosities that have so gravely divided our country. When I cast my vote in support of the impeachment inquiry nearly three months ago, I said that in order to maintain the integrity of this solemn undertaking, it must not be a partisan endeavor. Tragically, that's, not, that's what it has been. On the one side, the president's defenders insist that he has done nothing wrong. They agree with the absurd proclamation that his conduct was perfect. They abdicated their responsibility to exercise legitimate oversight and instead blindly do the bidding of their party's leader. On the other side, the president's opponents insist that if we do not impeach, our country will collapse into dictatorship. All but explicitly, they accuse him of treason. Such extreme rhetoric was never conducive to impartial fact-finding process. Okay, girl. If you think Trump is guilty of wrongdoing, and you think it's the wrongdoing that was in the 658-page document, then you need to impeach him because it's a high crime and misdemeanor to conduct abuses of power. It doesn't matter if the Democrats don't like him 
and he was also doing something wrong. That's just a bonus, the not liking part. I mean, it's it just is what it is. Like you're so you're not gonna impeach him because you're afraid that the the, the Democrats like were correct but liked it. They accuse him of treason. You think that's extreme rhetoric? <sighs> she says Donald Trump has violated public trust. Congress must be unequivocal in denouncing the president's misconduct and stand up for the American people. To this end, I've introduced a censure resolution that will send a strong message to the president and future presidents that their abuses of power will not go unchecked while leaving the question of removing Trump from office to the voters to decide? I don't understand. So you acknowledge that Trump has done, what he's done is way worse than what other presidents have been impeached for. It involves, it's a national stage. It's not getting a blowjob in the privacies of your office. And you think that you want to introduce a censure that just says, hey, naughty, 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 but doesn't actually, the impeachment is a censure. Like that is a censure. And then now it will go on to see if it includes removal from your job, but you will still be impeached. It's like how if you do a good, well, if your boss isn't an asshole and things are going along as normal, you don't get a warning you just like go along and bothered. So the impeachment could be considered a warning. And then like, it's like, and you could get fired or removed. I don't, I'm not going to do this anymore. This hoe is about to ruin our election. She's about to Jill Stein this bitch. And please don't be fooled. Okay. There is no utility to voting for her. And this is just a distraction to take away voters from the democratic candidate. And I hope we all see this for what it is. Last bit of coverage about Trump for today. Um, you know, we discussed how he made fun of Greta Thunberg, a 16-year-old with, with Asperger's. And I don't think I mentioned on the podcast last week that in addition to making fun of her, saying that she needs to work on her anger management and go watch a movie with some friends, which talking about, you know, her impassioned speech and her, like, focus on one issue and mocking her for it is so out of pocket because that's one of the features like of her Asperger's that actually aids her in being a great advocate is because it helps her be laser focused on one thing. And then he went over to tweet, um, his team took her head off of the Time Magazine Person of the Year cover and put his on, which I don't, like you're already president. Why would you have a need to be Time Magazine Person of the Year. I don't even know. Does Time Magazine even have an all? I've never, I can't remember the last time I read a Time Magazine article online. Do they even have an online part? Time doesn't matter anymore. It's so crazy. Anyway, so he now has doubled down on being an asshole by suggesting that this senator is in hell. Uh, so the other night at a rally, he said Debbie Dingell, who is a congresswoman, uh, sorry, not a senator, congress. Men. He, Debbie Dinkle took over for her husband who died, and she's a congresswoman in Michigan. And she called him and thanked him for supporting her on a phone call Wednesday night. And apparently, well, this is how Trump paraphrased the call John would be so thrilled. He's looking down. And I have to say, the way he imitated this woman was so vile. He was, was, 
fake crying. He said, yeah, you know, Jaho, I can't tell, I can't thank you enough. He would be so thrilled. He'd be so thrilled. And he said, John would be so thrilled. He's looking down. And then he said to the crowd, maybe he's looking up. I don't know. And the crowd did a double take. They said, oh, oh, and they booed because this man, Trump is just saying that this man is in hell looking up. Why would you say something like that? So this woman says, you know, this is my first Christmas without my husband. I'm a widow. And I cannot tell you how much this has set me back. It's so hurtful. Like, can you imagine you're trying to get through the first holiday season without your spouse? It's a hard enough time anyway. It's very hard when someone you love died, especially when they're in the public eye and you want people to remember them fondly. And instead, this president jokes about him being in hell, which if you're actually someone who's religious, that's also there's even more hurtful to me. I'm more like that's just. I don't know, for someone like Trump to suggest that anyone but him would be in hell is, like, crazy. But it was just so out of pocket. Then his, um, his, uh, what is, what's the person that he keeps firing and rehiring? Uh, the person that lies to the press for him. That person. She got on TV and said, well, you know, the Trump he, he's Trump has felt like he's been under attack recently. You know, the president, he he punches back and it was a wild crowd. And he's just acting on some of the information that he's been given the past couple weeks. <laughs> what information? I'm sorry. Did someone go to hell and come back and tell him that the dude is there? What are you talking about? And how dare you blame a crowd? What kind of... How could a crowd encourage you to say something that specific? Tell us that he's in hell. What do you what do you, what did the crowd say? First of all, the crowd booed you and they were shocked. These are a bunch of MAGA people that thought that this dude went too far. What does that tell you? Oh my gosh. Speaking of MAGA, the debates were on last night. The Democratic debate, it wasn't super interesting. It was so white. Kamala's not there. Uh, Cory Booker wasn't there. It, it, you know, Julian's not there. It's just like, oh my gosh. And I, Elizabeth is still my queen, but it's just nice to have everybody there so that there's just some variety. But anyway, um, I was in the airport when I was watching it and I turned to PBS to watch it live streaming because it was, it was apparently PBS like hosted it or something. I don't know. I, I started getting text messages from Elizabeth Warren's campaign. She said to go to PBS. I went to PBS online. And the number of bots that were making comments was astounding. There were so many Trump 2020. There's so much. You would think that everyone hated every single candidate, which I know is not the case. Like we largely kind of like all of the candidates. It's more like who is actually going to beat Trump. And I, I'm telling you, our elections are on their way to being sabotaged again and interfered with again because MAGA people don't know what PBS is, and they certainly don't watch Democratic debates, you know, right before the Christmas holiday that even Democrats don't watch. They just absolutely do not. That shit was wild, man. I'm telling you, the infiltration is so real. But anyway, um, back to Trump being a crass bastard. So now we have today... Uh, or yesterday, Christianity Today magazine has denounced Trump and said that he should be removed from office. This is a magazine that was founded by the late Billy Graham. It's an evangelical magazine, and I had some stats about how much this magazine is read. It is 
It's an influential mainstream magazine for evangelicals. It has 4.3 million monthly visitors on the site and hundreds of thousands of print subscribers. Um, So as you might know, in 2016, Trump won 81% of the evangelical vote. Why? Because crack kills. I don't know. And so very powerful, but this magazine finally came out and said, we cannot support him anymore. He should be removed from office. Um, This this editorialist Mark Gali has he's written, it's time to say what we said 20 years ago when a president's character was revealed for us. And 20 years ago was just a blowjob. Um, the list of what they said he's done was very compelling. Um, they just, they kind of went in on him. And I think that is very powerful. I hope, I mean, I know it's already gotten to the president because he's tweeting that their magazine doesn't matter. Um, so that was very interesting because we don't see that a lot coming from the right at all. Um, we don't see any evangelicals even even addressing the huge conflict in someone being so wildly and openly immoral and being their, their selection. So that was pretty cool. And, and dare I say that impeachment influence this like dare I say that you obviously should have said this before but the fact of impeachment makes this a little more pressing like now the stakes are should we remove him from office or not and this is the kind of thing that I hoped would happen from impeachment perhaps it can actually hurt his reputation more than we thought and if we stop saying oh it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and let it matter then maybe we can make it matter that's what I hope Here is a story that shot to the top of the news cycle and then went back down. Carol Sanchez, a 16-year-old girl, was kidnapped two days ago. A van pulled up, and she was walking in the Bronx with her mother, age 36, and a man jumped out, grabbed her, threw her in the van, pushed the mom to the ground who tried to fight back, and sped off. So 24 hours later, we've come to find out Carol's been found safe and sound and confessed to the NYPD that she planned her kidnapping. Um, What can I say about 16-year-olds? They're not the brightest. Um, Teenagers' brains haven't fully formed. That's why we try them as minors, because they make decisions that are rash. But I will say, from a decision-making standpoint, this was both very interesting and nonsensical at the same time. If you want to get away from your mom, I think the more low-profile thing to do would be to run away. Because when you stage a kidnapping, then everyone is looking for you. So that also, you know, gives your mom more to go on, more hope. There's a truck. What's the license plate? Here, I mean, it's an entire, it's a big investigation. Like, I'm not sure if this child has never, never watched any, like, long crime SUV type procedurals, but I don't know why kidnapping was the way to go here. Um, I feel like just fake your death at this point. Like, I don't know, girl. Like, make it final if you really want to run away. Or, or just just go. But yeah, she involved other people. I'm, uh, she knew the man that did this. He was has done time in Rikers, but what does that really mean? I mean, the people, they, they held the mom at Rikers who 
you know, got was in the um, welfare office and got her baby knocked out of her hand, she went to Rikers. So what does that even mean? But anyway, he's 23. He does have a record. I don't know if it's violent or anything. And I'm not sure where she knows him from. She didn't know the other men involved, but she knew him. And so apparently she just spent the night like at, an, at a vacant apartment with him, like playing video games, hanging out. And then the next day she got dropped back off close to where she got picked up. I mean, before I deal with what people are saying about this, I have to say, what bravo, girl, drama. You're a drama queen. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't get why that was your decision. I guess because my brain is fully formed. I can't really make heads or tails of it, but I, I do think there's something about this person that is frightening and exciting, and maybe she should go into, like, creating, like, live theatrical piece shows. I don't know. Like, there's... You're, 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 you got to be a little bit... You're a special kind of person to stage a kidnapping, have a kidnapper, knock your mom over. That's a special kind of dramatic way to run away. I'm just going to say it. So... Also, she is Honduran ethnically, and apparently maybe her mom wanted to move and take her to Honduras, and that's why she didn't want to go. We don't know. Okay, boom. So this is a black girl. Honduras has a large black population of people called Garifuna who trace their roots directly to Africa, and they have very interesting traditions and food, culture, music. That's a melange of the um, tradition that was brought by the African slaves and the native Indians there, etc. So place I've been interested in um, just for the diaspora connection that's really unique. Garif, there's a Garifuna festival in New York City. Anyway, she's a little black girl. And this, when I first heard it, like many people, I was like, oh my God, they're, they're taking our girls and us and me, you know, they're taking us. In, in broad daylight now, like people are so cavalier with with putting women in this, putting black girls in the sex trade now, they're taking us in broad daylight. That's what I thought. And I was pleased to see how much news coverage it was getting because, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a huge problem. Black and brown girls disappearing and nobody cares. And they women are being sex trafficked in the United States. We act like it's something that happens in other countries. No, right here. It's a huge, huge problem, sexual slavery. However, um, you know, part of what made this more interesting, I do think, was that the broad daylight aspect, that we're not used to people just in plain sight of everybody else throwing someone in a car. Although, I saw footage the other day of a, of a man that tried to take a 13-year-old away in a grocery store. Like, he just started to grab this girl, and the mom and this strange man were playing tug-of-war with the child. Like, what the hell? So, I mean, this stuff does happen. And then if you go on YouTube, there's a whole... It's like a whole genre of girls talking about how they were almost kidnapped and stuff and when people came up to them. But anyway, the Internet took this and went crazy with it. Twitter went crazy with it. And... 24 hours later, now that we found it's a hoax, people have that same energy and are pissed. They're as pissed as they were passionate about getting her back. And my question is, shouldn't you just redirect that energy to the people that actually are missing? I, I want us all to remember. Let's take a deep breath and remember when we, with our index finger, pressed retweet of a thing and had like an emotional feeling and thought in our head about someone we don't know who's not our family member that's not actual work you don't get to you don't get to sit and be you didn't 
we didn't have enough time for any vigils or fundraising. It's been 24 hours. That didn't happen, okay? So you don't get to act like you wasted all your time and resources on a titillating story and this just ruined your life and ruined your day. You don't get to act like you gave up and lost something because you did it. That's crazy. We need to, it, it just kind of reminds, the intensity with which, with which people feel betrayed and like their time is wasted, it makes me want to just go boop, knock on the head. Remember, you don't actually know this person. This isn't real. You were engaging on the internet. You weren't engaging in real life. I feel like it's it's kind of the flip side of the poor, the poor, uh, like the porous screen we have between celebrities and ourselves. Like you don't actually know them. Calm down, calm down. So that's my first thing. Secondly, I don't. You know, if what she did raises awareness for the fact that there is sex trafficking and kidnapping of young black girls, then. So be it. Like, that is just a finding something positive out of this. And I think that it shouldn't take the fact that it was in broad daylight for people to be, you know, concerned about missing women. And please channel that energy into something else productive. And also, yes, there was Jesse Smollett that was highly publicized. And now there's this. That makes two instances, two famous notable instances in the past, like, 15 years of black people faking crimes against themselves. It's not an epidemic. I don't think it it warrants a Ph.D. dissertation just yet. And for every one of them, which there are two of them, there are, like, 20, you know, white women that drowned their kids or drove off a cliff and said it was a black man. So let's not get crazy, because the Internet comments I'm seeing... Are, are really crazy, like as if Jesse Smollett and this girl did something, and now all hate crimes and harm to black people, time and memoriam has been invented. No. No, it hasn't. Relax. That's pretty much all I had to say about this, that I, you know, obviously racist going racist, like that's that, but, com- but let's not encourage them by talking about how we, this girl should get jail time and 20 years and all this stuff. She's 16 years old. Nobody died. You know, I've heard people say and seen people say the, the guys who were involved could have died and got shot on sight. That is so true, and that is also not her fault. Like, if you think about what a horrible indictment of America that is, that she just wants to be a messy, crazy, possibly have lots of emotional problems, 16-year-old, and run away with a kidnapping, you know, as you do. And she has to worry about the fact that if she involves black and brown people in her plot, they're going to get shot on sight. She's just trying to live out a Disney movie, okay? She's just trying to live out a Disney Plus plot line. Let her be. So good luck to you. Good luck to your mom. I don't know what you did to her mom to make her want to stage a kidnapping. I'm, I hate to put it on you, but she wants to get away from you real bad. So I feel like that needs to be looked into. But again, teenagers gone teen. So glad she's safe. Let's, let's not do that. Oh, man, I really wish she was kidnapped because I was concerned. Fuck her. It's better if she were, her life were in danger. No, no, it's not. This is a happy ending. The end. This has already gone on long enough, so I just want to give you a quick pop culture 
segment for today, but I want to give a little shout out to Michelle Williams. Um, Michelle Williams, the third member of Destiny's Child, the third member of the, you know, when Destiny's Child became a trio, as you know, we drag her, we've ragged on her. She's not the best at choreography. And so, and also just, she didn't have the benefit of performing with the two other members of Destiny's Child from the time she was a child, you know, how can one really, you can't beat that kind of synergy. So she gets, she gets ragged on a lot. Um, she's been very candid about her issues with depression and being hospitalized for them before, which I really appreciate her candor in that. And I have it on good authority from a f- close friend that works with her in the color purple that she's a nice person. So I was <clears throat> pretty excited to find out that she was the winner of the Masked Singer. Did I watch it one time? No, I did not. I don't watch... I don't watch very many competition shows. You know, I already work in a field that's very subjective, and it's hard for me to watch people at the whim of more subjectivity. I just don't like it. Um, Like, I was watching... What is that show called? It's the makeup artist show from London where they have them do different looks. It's like Project Runaway for makeup artists, and these makeup artists would tell the contestants, you know, the makeup artist judges... Okay, this has got to be your idea of beauty. And then they do it and they'd be like, no, that sucks. I'm like, you literally just ask them to present their idea of beauty and then you judge them on the merits of their taste. It's it's just so subjective. Or watch people scramble to start doing stuff that the style a judge likes and the judge be like, I don't see you in this. And then when they do what they really like, be like, this is too over the top. It's just, I can't. It drives me crazy. It's, it's my real life. So anyway, I didn't watch the show, but I watched, once I found out it was her, watched the whole, her performances and a little montage of her performances. And she is a great singer. Like, I don't like the timbre of her voice necessarily. It's not my favorite, but I also don't like the timbre of Celine Dion's voice, which you can fight me over. I don't really give a fuck. But she, you know, factually, empirically, objectively can sing. Like, first of all, I heard the words to a lot of pop songs that I didn't even know they had lyrics. She sang some Ariana Grande stuff that I thought was just a strong column of air. Like, I don't, what are you saying? I heard every word. She enunciates while she's singing really up there high in the rafters. She has a really strong voice and moves around very effortlessly up there. She can sing. And it's just not the tone that we're used to. It's a twangy, kind of country, gospel-y sounding twang. And she doesn't have that pop star. Like, she's not sensual. There was no hip movement. It doesn't come naturally to her. her the thing she did when she got excited... She kind of sings with her feet planted into the ground and her back kind of um, hunched over, like she's just clenching into the ground for her strength, and she starts jumping up and down like an old lady in church. And that's, that's, her, that's her groove. And no, it didn't fit into Destiny's Child booty popping. And I'm almost annoyed now that she even had to subject herself to that kind of um, choreography anyway because it sucks to do stuff that's just not your ministry and then be judged on it when you could have been doing something else the whole time and doing really well at it so I just want to rescind my own doubts of her vocal abilities from over the years and I'm going to confess I wasn't like the hugest listener of Destiny's Child once they 
once they became the three of them, I, I, that wasn't my, those weren't my favorite times. So no, I don't know every single track and all her verses and all that. I can't, I can't go toe to toe with you in that. So if I, if I should have been known this, sue me. But um, also she went on the reel and Lonnie Love disrespectfully asked her, what was it like to know that you were like the least favorite singer in the group? And she said, well, you know, sometimes you're aware that you're not the favorite of something, and that's okay, but I still got paid. Um, hey, now, she wants you to know that she's still a millionaire. She's still got to make her living as an artist and a pop star, which is the dream. And the dream for anyone who sings is to make your living doing that and make a very, very fine living doing that. So, you know, I think that she came out on top with that one. I commend you for your honesty. Bitch, I Still Got Paid is going to be the motto for 2020. And congratulations to her because she said that doing the game show and being anonymous and letting people hear her vocals for what they were compared to other people's vocals, it kind of it set, reset your expectations to neutral and it kind of let you evaluate her vocals in a, in a neutral form and... She said she felt so much, she felt vindicated and she felt very confident because she had been going through what a lot of us go through as performers, just self-judgment and not feeling confident. And so I thought that was really exciting and I thank her for sharing all of her vulnerability through the process with us. Um, moving quickly on to someone I don't think, Kim Kardashian is at it again. She has done a magazine spread, uh, which was Moogly. Was it Mooglier designed this uh, spread? Let me see. Uh, I don't even want to Google her. I really don't. It was Thierry Moogler for who did the art direction. Let's do, oh her her regular makeup artist Mario, who I he seemed like a nice guy. He did the uh, makeup and he's very talented. Honestly, I've seen some of his master classes. So now. I am annoyed because you're trolling all of us. So Kim Kardashian, anyway, appeared on this magazine cover. Allegedly, she was inspired by, or the inspiration for the look was Liz Taylor. She's in a black strapless dress with her eyes closed, wearing a big bouffant hairstyle. She looks like Diane Carroll. Independently, all of us black people came up with Diane Carroll at the same time, so it can't be our imagination. And if you don't, I mean, if her name wasn't at the bottom of the picture, you were just like, who is this caramel-colored black woman? Her lips are overdrawn and overlined. Even her eye sockets, the way the shading is of the eyeshadow, makes them look like bigger. It's, it's changed her entire face shape. And so she's lying down on this couch in a strapless black dress with her eyes closed. And she looks like um, people are saying Diane Carroll, Diane Carroll, Lena Horne, Dorothy Dandridge. Um, I mean, she looks. A, <laughs> basically, he he did a drag shading version of Diane Carroll on her face. If you look at their picture side by side, it's 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 uncanny. And my question is just. I don't have a question. I know why you did it. I don't have a question. This is more trolling. You know that she doesn't look like Liz Taylor. Liz Taylor was a British pale blonde woman with violet eyes. I don't think she was known for being brown skinned. So I just really don't know where you're getting this from. Um, I think that people know that angry black people make things go viral. Um, black Twitter runs the world. 
And I think people are capitalizing off of our annoyance. And offending us has now become just a way to go viral. It's just become a way to to make sure that you're seen. Because who's ever heard of this magazine cover anyway? So... Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to encourage us to not engage because I do think, who was it, Toni Morrison or Maya Angelou, so that part of racism white, or white supremacy works, racism works by exhausting like your, our resources and wasting our time. And I really believe that because now we're going to get bogged down into the same stupid conversation about Armenia and the Caucasus Mountains and whether you're white. And I want to insert that, you know, the, the word Caucasian is anti-scientific, like so is phrenology. It's just not based on anything. So I don't think it, we literally, I don't actually think it's correct to literally say, well, because Caucasian comes from the Caucasus Mountains, she's Caucasian and she's white. It's, 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 yes, black haired people from the Caucasus Mountains, which range into Asia, you know, Western Asia, they get made fun of by, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants when they move to America. So whether she's white or not is not the point. The point is that she's not black. And I think that is something that needs to be pressed on more, that it's the bar for whether you get to do blackface. First of all, no one should do blackface. But the bar for whether you get to do blackface is not whether you're not white. It's whether you are, are you black? Like, if you are, are you part of the thing that you're making a mockery of? Because those are the rights to, like, jab and make fun of something is being part of the in-group. So if you're not part of the group, then you shouldn't do it. So we don't need to have this whole conversation about whether she's white or not and all this stuff and appropriation and tanning. And I, I really feel like people like to get us caught up in these conversations so we sound petty, like we're focused on things, the wrong things, because you can't be right all the time on this thing. You can't be right. <laughs> Because some, some white people are darker than others. Some are Italian. Some, you know, like, I really feel like we can't always have the hard line on this issue, but we do fully well know who's trolling us and whose past actions and who they associate with, like her idiotic husband who's wearing a Confederate flag around. You know, we know who we don't want to play with right now because of the things they've done in the past. But I do feel like we get bogged down into these conversations on purpose. And meanwhile, you know, people are trafficking real black girls, not the ones who are faking their kidnappings or, you know, things like that. So I just I resent her for even making the Internet go viral in this way right now. And I hope this blows over soon. I hope by next week no one's talking about it anymore because she's not going to apologize and she's not going to learn from it. Nothing has ever been learned in any of the times that she, you know, gets told stuff like this. And she has whole, what, five black children at this point. So just we got to acknowledge when something's on purpose and and not feed into it. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Cake and Kombucha. This episode was exciting and like weird and segmented and so much happened so I hope you were able to play by the numbers and get out of it what you needed and I am going to do a better job in the future of keeping you abreast of the boring facts as well as like the fun you know my editorial part of the facts if you need it so I'd love to hear from you. Let me know if you needed that whole breakdown. Let me know if you didn't, because I don't really know where people are in their consumption process of the news and all these hearings, but there's only going to be more. So I want to know the best way that I can deliver this info to you. Um, Check out Instagram because there is a page 
with nothing on it yet, but I literally just took the name um, and put it up there. So Cake and Kombucha is now an Instagram page. By Monday, you'll start to see it populated with all the information you need to find out about upcoming shows, when things are launching, and cute little fun snippets and videos, content to keep you keep you uh, enticed and satiated until your next serving of cake. Nom, 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 and kombucha. Unnecessary sounds, I know. Anyway, love you. Thanks for listening. Have a happy, happiest of holidays. Nancy Pelosi says she celebrates everything in her house. She celebrates Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. I'm really now curious about which member of her family celebrates Kwanzaa, and I'm going to do some deep diving investigation of that. Hopefully, I will have the answer for you by next week. All right. Ta-ta for now. Cake and Kombucha is produced and hosted by actress, writer, and singer Kelechi Azia. It features music by the talented Melanie J.B. Charles. If you like what you hear, check out MelanieJBCharles.com.